What we're supposed to do is focus on what we're supposed to do, not focus on the remedy for failure. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining us today back from his ventures is Eric. I am back. Eric is back and we've got Tracy. Good morning. And we have the pretty much always present Karen. <laughs> Hello. Our favorite Karen. <laughs> the, the Karen that makes us hard for us to, to believe all the Karen memes. Hey, go to your room. I just nice. said you're a good Karen. Wow. I give you a compliment and look what I get. Never again. Apparently, if I go to Australia, there's a pizza place that will give me free pizza. If I show up, my name is Karen, but I am not a Karen. So next time <laughs> I'm in Australia, I've got one good meal coming up. Hey, sounds like a so, worth trip. Yeah, it sounds better than all the snakes and spiders that want to kill you there. So yeah, right? free pizza. I'd, I'd go for free pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because there's been a meme going around that's saying that the the male equivalent is Karen must be Matthew. Yes. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, <laughs> you want me to act that way? I'll act that way. You betcha. <laughs> it's not fate, Matt. It's a choice. <laughs> <laughs> I am so hard to get along with. I got to talk to the manager. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I think we're all we're all back from well. <laughs> For a little bit, we're all back from our, our venturing around around the, uh, I would say, around the world. But I don't think any of us have left the country. We've just been, have been in different places here. And uh, so for the time being, we are all together <laughs> and uh, getting ready to have our, our, our discussion and our study. So speaking of that, let's get into this. We are going to start to, well, we're, we're in the book of starting in book of second kings and second chronicles 26 and there's some back and forth there but we just finished up last week the study of jonah which was uh i thought it was a great a great study a great discussion because there's there man there is so much human interest in in that story and um but it all comes in the context as we've been talking for so long of all this succession of kings in judah and israel between the, the split of that of that kingdom of Israel, and now you've got the two kingdoms, and neither one of them is doing very well. You keep having the constant back and forth of this king did right and this king did evil, and in in Israel it's more well. I don't even think Israel ever had a king that did good. So Judah is kind of more of a back and forth. So you know we're getting, but we're getting all this uh, this context that's going back and forth and, and really helping us to understand what was going on at the time and what comes later, because today we're also going to get into the book of Isaiah and we're going to talk about, you know, some of the things that he's saying and the prophecies that he's giving within that context of, of what's been happening through all of this time. So second Kings 15 starts talking about a king named Azariah in Judah. Now, Azariah, he is, got another name in the bible uzziah uh, i don't know if this was just local colloquialisms or what for them to have i mean it's, i guess it's sort of a similar sounding name but um if if you're not paying attention you can really quickly 
get a little mixed up thinking that that's two different people. But uh, fortunately, we have our handy dandy chart that Karen got us. And, uh, you know, that Azariah and Uzziah are the same dude. So um, we don't get a ton of information on him. He is the son of Amaziah. He was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned for 52 years. So he got a pretty good long stint in it. And like a lot of other guys before him, he says he did right, but he didn't remove the high places. So we still constantly have this background going on of the people, regardless of what the king's doing. It seems like in the background, you still have the people. They themselves are doing good and bad, and some are doing better, some are doing worse. But um, And I kind of went back and I looked, and you know, that usually kind of spells trouble when they didn't remove the high places. Yeah, it's, a lot of them started off really well, but those high places just tend to come back and and cause some trouble for them. Right, right. So, Second <laughs> uh, Kings fifteen gives us like this really quick, brief um, overview of him. He at some point he gets stuck with leprosy. He lives in isolation, and eventually his son Jotham uh, kind of takes over for him. Before we but, go there, I think it's worth noting in both Second Kings and in Second Chronicles, it makes it a point not just to say that he did right, but it names his mother. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The, the idea that <clears throat> I think the author's idea was that she had something to do with his trajectory in life. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've kind of discussed that before with different kings, how we would talk about the mothers and, and they must have had an influence on what was happening. And, of course, it also helped us to know, probably helped them to keep track of just who was who, who was who, because these right. kings always seem to have so many um, so many wives. But yeah, yeah. Um, the mothers, I think a lot of times the mothers are, are a great influence. Even today, the mothers are probably the biggest influence on kids as they're growing up even though even though our fi- family dynamics are changing and i think these days you probably have more mothers out in the workforce uh than not but there just still seems to be a a closer bond at least in my house definitely a closer bond between the children especially when they're younger and their mom um and maybe it's you know more of an emotional connection women tend to be able to have those kind of connections a little easier than men where we kind of want to fix things and uh, women tend to be more uh, nurturing in that regard. We have a second one though. And also in uh, in saying in second Kings 15, we have another King that shows up and um, Mm -hmm. he did what was right and names uh, his mother as well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, yeah, second Chronicles 26. So we, that's where you get this shift in names from Azariah to Uzziah or Uzziah. I'm not exactly how they would say that, but um, we get some, we get a little more detail on him. We're told that as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Yeah. So that's some of that if then that we talk about so much. You know, if you follow God, um, things are going to tend to go better for you. Not, and that's not a prosperity gospel thing here because, Mm-mm. like I already said, the guy he got leprosy. You know, so. Um, you know, it's not, it's not always a it's not always a, a sure thing that you're going to have a you know easy prosperous life just because you're following God. No, but, and to uh, that point, Matt, it says mm-hmm. right here in Second Chronicles twenty six uh, fifteen and sixteen, 
it wasn't the bad times that got him. It was, in fact, the prospering. Mm-hmm. It says right here in 15, in Second Chronicles uh, 26, 15, um, and his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. And the very next verse, 16, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so he was, he warred against Philistines, and he built cities among the Philistines. So, I mean, you know, for that to happen, he had to be very successful with what he was doing. God helped him against Philistines, Arabians, uh, Meunites. I haven't, I'm not sure who they are. I don't remember hearing about them before. The Ammonites were bringing him tribute. But yeah, then he starts getting prosperous. He builds towers in Jerusalem and in the deserts, and he's digging wells. Um, he's got vine dressers and farmers working for him. Got a big army, well armed. He gets uh, gets uh, resourceful and says he installed devices to fire arrows and large stones from the walls, of the towers <laughs> of Jerusalem. So he's he is uh, he's really building something up, pretty amazing. But like Eric said, he he got proud. To the point where he went into the temple to build, uh, to burn incense. And this was not for the king to do. This was for the priests. Why did he decide he could do this? I don't know. Uh, but he, uh, he decided this was for him. And I, I sometimes wonder when I was reading this is that we've seen this before. And I, and I wonder if they get to the point with their pride that they feel that they're on that, I don't know, if, if this closer than close relationship with God that gives them the ability to do that based on how much they've been blessed and how much they've prospered and how their mm-hmm. prayers have been answered. They get a little bit too comfortable and lose a respect factor yeah. and try this. It could be. It could yeah. Be. This reminded me of Cain. Where Cain basically is saying, well, I'm going to worship you, but I'm going to do it my way, not the way you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, we can get, uh, you know, with all of our relationships, I think we can get maybe a little too comfortable where we decide, think we can take liberties that we shouldn't. Right. With, even with our close family, our, our wives and our children. But I've seen it. I've seen it happen in churches a lot of times where people they get a certain status within the church and then they start thinking that it's theirs and they can do what they want. I remember being in a, I, uh, in, in the church I was in previously. I think a lot of us were in that, in that uh, congregation there for a bit, but uh, the pastor had decided he wanted to remove a couple of pews from the back of the church just to give a place for people to kind of mingle and, um, gather afterwards because just the way that church that building is built there really wasn't a place for that anywhere so we we removed a couple of pews and i helped him do it and there was this older guy who who has who had been there for a long time and he's like that was my pew i paid for it it was mine like wow oh well okay you know not exactly the same thing but a certain you can see how there's like a you just get a certain amount of maybe pride and you start thinking that this is yours. And so maybe you hear with Uzziah, maybe it's kind of the same thing. You know, he's having all this success and maybe he's starting to think that, um, I don't know, he's a little more high and mighty than he really, than he really deserves to be. But, um, but, but, uh, the priests don't like this. They come in. Who is it? Azariah. Is it, no, 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 not Azariah. 
Yeah. Azariah the priest, if I'm remembering, if I wrote my notes right. That's right. Comes in, comes in with 80 other priests while he's trying to do this. And they're like, no, 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 you are not doing this. And Uzziah just becomes furious and gets angry that he's being con- he's uh, being confronted in this way. And he breaks out with leprosy on his forehead. And those priests just quickly shoved, shoved him right out the door. It's and we're told that he's written of by Isaiah and I didn't get that in our in our reading that we do later. But um, but uh, yeah, he he literally became unclean to where he could not he was not even supposed to be in the temple anymore at that point. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure, he couldn't be in the palace either. Yeah, yeah. So he uh, his 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 pride definitely cost him, and he literally I mean literally in 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 the the old, you know, those old laws became unclean and completely unworthy of of being there okay so that was life is messy stories in the bible are messy and this is one of those few that just makes my inner karma wisher just go oh yeah like (laughs) there's there's this little immature part in my head that wants the results of people's mistakes to just be instantaneous and obvious so everyone can see it and everybody knows the difference. Not not my mistakes, just everyone else's, just to make that clear. I don't want leprosy to, to appear on my forehead every time I do something wrong, but it would be really convenient for my internal black and white cravings if that could please happen for everyone else. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so exhausted from moral ambiguity I'm so exhausted and I just mm. want right to be right and wrong to be wrong. And I just want something to be simple and it's not. But when I read that story, there was some part of me that went, Oh, that's kind of a relief. At least one time in the history of this world, this has happened. <laughs> it happens on occasion. Every once in a while we see it and yeah, it's a relief. Here's like, Oh good. We, that got taken care of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, our reading shifts then back to Second Kings 15 and Zechariah reigning in Israel. And now we get this real quick succession of kings in Israel because Israel is winding down and it's winding down fast. It says he reigned six months in, in evil and he was killed by Shalom. And you might recall that God had promised Jehu that uh, down to the fourth generation of his uh, descendants would be kings. And Zechariah was the last of that fourth generation. And when um, this Shalom comes along and, and kills him, that ends that line of rulers anyway. So Shalom kills him. He becomes king in Israel. He reigns one month. He gets killed by a guy named Menahem, who is uh, leading a conspiracy. And Menahem reigns in Israel. He stays there for 10 years, but we're told he did evil to the point where he gave the king of Assyria a thousand talents of silver taken from the wealthy of Israel, basically paid him off so he wouldn't attack them. A guy named Pekahiah, who is the son of Menahem, becomes king. He reigns for two years, did evil. He's killed by a game guy named, uh, I think, Pika, who was a captain of the, of the army. Pekah reigns for 20 years, says he did evil. Uh, let's see. During his reign, tiglath Pileser of Assyria took a captive, uh, let's see, Ijon, Abelbeth, Meaka, 
Genoa, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, Galilee, and the land of Naphtali, took them away to Assyria. And then another guy, Hosea, led a conspiracy to kill Pekah, and he became king. And little spoiler alert for next, well, not next week, but in the you know within the near future, we're going to read that he's the last king of Israel, Hosea, because the Assyrians, like we just saw here, they're starting to take people away. And uh, so that's kind of where the fate of Israel is going. Uh, they're just, uh, man, I mean, it's just like a, it's like a domino effect of tumbling of one guy kills another and that guy kills another. And, you know, becoming king is, uh, I wouldn't want to have been king because it was kind of a death sentence, it seems. Somebody was going to come along and take that away from you. So uh, that gives us some context of where Israel is at the time. So now we're going to shift into the book of Isaiah. I got to be honest. I've read Isaiah before. I've been through it a few times, listened to it in an audio version. Never really got into a deeper study of it. And I think a lot of it was because I didn't really, I didn't know where it fit in the context of things. Because if you just try to read the Bible cover to cover, or if you even try to do like a Bible in a year, like, uh, I think pretty much all of us, we did that. We did that a few years ago when we did a Bible in a year. You you don't really know, you know, the context of where it's landing in the timeline of things. And so by doing our chronological reading here, it really helped me to know when this is happening, who he's talking to, you know, what era of Judah and Israel that we're talking about. And so Isaiah begins it. We're told right away in verse one of chapter one that this is a vision concerning Judah during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So this, uh, so 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 um, Isaiah's writings, um, that's where that that's where that fits in, and uh, that's for the next the next few kings, and the, you know, none of them reign for very long after Uzziah. So that. That's where we're looking at here with Israel falling apart, Judah doing so-so, and Isaiah comes with a message. Yeah, and this is this is the thing is that <clears throat> we've read a lot of these train wrecks of kings and in both kingdoms. And it would seem, to Karen's point earlier, uh, about the, um, you know, not seeing evil punished and, you know, moral ambiguity and just like where is the justice in this and david writes about that in the psalms it's like why do the wicked seem to prosper what's going on with all that and mm -hmm. we see that god is working with his people and his people are, are everybody but he's especially wanting israel to pull it together because they're supposed to be the ones who spread the good word about who god is and what his character is like and that he wants to bless us is that God is, in fact, reaching out to his people, and he reaches out through you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on. And I think this has relevance for us today in the sense that, well, if God was upset, you know, or whatever, it would just be, oh, it would just be all disaster all the time. It would be, he would make it clear. I want to point out that God, he tries the gentle approach first. You know, mm -hmm. the two by four to the head, that comes later because Israel just doesn't get it, and then Judah doesn't get it. And this is, this is God 
talking to and trying to trying to get them to turn their course in a in a way that would be least damaging to them. In Isaiah 1 8, 18, I'm sorry. He says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they are like red like crimson, they shall become like wool. He's trying to say, hey, there's an easier way to do this. We don't, we don't have to do this to heart. I mean, we've all, all of us on this podcast have children. And I'm sure at some point during their raising, we have said something similar to, do you want to do this the easy way or the hard way? <laughs> and I, as a kid, remember that the hard way usually involved my stubborn will. And then something <clears throat> more shocking <laughs> that would, that would um, make me reconsider my ways. And I just want to point out that God is doing that today, right now, in this year. 2021 is where we find ourselves at this moment. He is doing that with us. He's doing that with you. He's saying, hey, there's a better way to do this. Can I convince you through love and in Isaiah, you know, reasoning at least here, can I convince you that there's a better way to do this? Because captivity and punishment and all this is not his plan, which is not to say that everything that, that happens that is a bad thing is a direct punishment from God. We're, we're at war. There's an enemy that seeks to do us bad. Jesus talks about that. It says the thief comes to um, kill and destroy. You know, I come to give life. So we have an enemy working against us. So it would be wrong to think that any bad thing that happens is like, well, God punished us. But he wants us to do well, and he wants us to respond and obey uh, in love. And that's that's kind of the context of Isaiah as we launch into this is is God is, I mean, look at this. He, Matt just read it. He spans one, two, three, four kings in Judah. He's working with them through four administrations, trying to get them to, like, hey, you make turn, everybody, come on, let's turn a corner here. That that's how God um, would rather us do things rather than the hard way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned us all having children, too, and and that is really the context that the chapter starts with, where God is talking, so he talks about, how does he put it, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. That's in verse 2. Yeah. And, and so, you know, like you say, us having children, anybody who's had children and had their kids, I think at some point we've all seen our kids go in a direction we don't want them to go, and Fortunately, I think most kids probably figure things out at some point and realize they need to change something or, you know, but occasionally you have those kids that just, they don't and they go the bad way. And I cannot imagine a single parent being glad to see their kids suffer. It just, it just, it, that is just a complete anathema to me that, uh, that, uh, that, that a parent would ever feel that way. And, and it's obvious here that that's not what God wants to see happen here. But he talks about they've turned away. He's like, why would you be stricken again? That's a quote from uh, verse 5. Why Why should you be stricken again? Because we've seen these times when Israel starts to, and Judah would try to, specifically here, Judah would kind of slip away and something would come in and shock him. And then and they'd slip away and someone would come in and kind of shock him. God's like, why? Why do you want to see this happen again? Uh, he says, your wounds and bruises and sores haven't been treated. I mean, it's just, they've just been neglecting 
they've been neglecting the important things to the point where he says, if there hadn't been a remnant of believers, you would have suffered the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we remember Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, that place got turned into a crater because of their evils. And, you know, basically God is just like, I've been working with you and, you know, you're fortunate that you've had a few at least that have tried to keep things going in, in the right direction for you. Other, otherwise, you would have had the same fate. And he, he spells out what it is he wants. Verses uh, 16 and 17. Wash your hands. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. You know, those sound like just basic basic decent human being things to do and god's like that's that's what i really want from you i I, i'm not looking for i'm not looking for rituals i'm not looking for yes you know i'm yeah i'm it's like just just do the things i've asked you to do just you know act decently towards each other yes to to that point is earlier in in isaiah one and i think this is really important if you're listening to the podcast if there's one chapter that you read in here, read Isaiah 1, because it's the voice of a parent really pleading with the child, and he he lays it out. And this sounds a lot like what Jesus says when he shows up. <clears throat> in fact, he quotes Isaiah. One of the things that in Isaiah 1, 11, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, of lambs and goats. Now, keep in mind, he's the one who started these rituals. Mm-hmm. But they were supposed to mean something. Mm-hmm. And apparently they had lost sight of all of this. And in, in 12, I mean, he gets, he gets right on it. He says, bring me no more vain offerings. And basically, stop it. New moon and new Sabbath and calling of convocations. I cannot endure the iniquity of a solemn and solemn assembly. We get the idea like, well, as long as you sit in church and you're quiet and you kind of look sad a little bit, like good enough. God right here is calling that out and saying, no, not what I'm after. All right. I'm a big fan of the book of James. And so when I read that, I remembered the text in um, James. It's the last verse of the first chapter. And it says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And it's just like, oh, yeah, back to the roots. So that whole sacrificial system, the whole apology, acceptance, forgiveness system is only supposed to be a remedy for when we fail. Mm-hmm. Right. What we're supposed to do is focus on what we're supposed to do, not focus on the remedy for failure. And it's like that. But we we little humans, we get so attached to the ritual, like, you know, like you guys were saying, we get attached to the ritual. It's soothing. We've we done something to earn our forgiveness. And so that begins to take precedence. And then pretty soon that's the focus of the religion. So rather than all these intangibles over here on the side, like James says in another place, he's like, if you know you're supposed to do something and you don't do it, that is sin to you. Like lack of action can be wrong just as much as wrong action. So it's like focus, focus, shift, shift the focus, shift the priority. It's good stuff. I love this. I love this chapter, this section in Isaiah that we read today. You know what? I wrote down that it's 
to me, it's that we find comfort in the routine. Mm-hmm. And that's where we we get too complacent and too comfortable and we lose that focus on God or being close to God. Mm-hmm. Well, and I really, Eric already pointed it out, but verse 18 where God says, come and let us reason together. Yeah. It's not like he's saying, this is the law and this is what you have to do and I am putting my foot down. I'm, of course, he is putting his foot down. But at the same time, he's like, just take a second and consider what it is I'm asking of you and why I'm asking it of you. And as you, as you continue to read on, it's like, if you just keep fighting against the way that I have created this universe, you're just going to be destroyed because, because you cannot fight against the way things are supposed to be happening and expect that, uh, expect that things are going to go well. And that's what he's trying to get them to, to understand here is, Think about why I've asked you to do these things. Think about uh, what the ramifications are for you going the opposite direction. Because if you understand why God has asked you to do things, uh, then you can understand that going the other way is not going to be good for you. He talks about how Jerusalem was once a shining example to the world. And now it's this sad shadow because of all the sin in it. You know, we had, I, I, you know, I'm thinking back. It was kind of a, it was a very brief time period that we've read about. We've been reading about it for quite a while, but it was a really, in the grand scheme of things, it was kind of a really short time period that Jerusalem was a, was this shining city. I mean, I guess you literally city on a hill, right? And uh, where people were looking to it for, oh, that's, those are the people that are following the God of heaven, the God that created the, you know, the universe and the earth and, and, um. You know, this was that was the time when people would be coming from Sheba and Ethiopia just to see it, and and um, it didn't last very long. And now it's it's just this sad shadow because nobody can seem to get their act together. And some of this here, I think, we start seeing some dual meanings in the prophecies that are being told here because yeah. he talks about he talks about. Uh, he says, I will restore the kingdom by removing the impurities and taking away the wealth. And then after you words, you should be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Um, I think we're talking some about the Jerusalem of the time. And I think we're also talking about the new Jerusalem that we are. We, us right now are here talking and listening, are, are looking forward to. You see this with a lot of prophecies, I think, when you start seeing there's times for like the immediate meaning and then there's times for down the road that now we are starting to experience. And so, you know, we are looking for a restoration of the kingdom as well. Yeah, I want to say that there's there's for sure there's three uh, time period applications that we have here of this prophecy. There's principles that we can apply now. Right. Mm-hmm. There's things that we can take from from anything. So so that's just kind of a I don't even know if I would call that one of them. But one of them is the immediate to the people it's being spoken to. Isaiah is talking to people in the kingdom of Israel. You know, I don't know. Well, I haven't looked at the timeline roughly a thousand years ago or well, at this point, three thousand years ago. Right. A thousand years before Christ. Mm-hmm. So there's that immediate Isaiah is talking to people, sending out this letter, and they're reading it going, oh, wow, okay. Then there's some of Isaiah 
that is prophesying about the coming Messiah. So that is one of the applications of the book of Isaiah. Some of the book of Isaiah, and we get into that here in chapter 2, I think, at least I think I see it this way, is it's talking about the end of time, like the final, final wrapping up of this, the second coming, the establishment of the permanent forever new Jerusalem, which has very little to do with the Jerusalem, Jerusalem that we know. <clears throat> but then in chapter two, it almost seems like there's a shadow of a fourth possibility, and that's a future that Israel could have had. Mm. Because we have this in the latter days, in chapter 2, 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It kind of sounds like, okay, well, this is prophesying about Israel really being like the, the pinnacle of everything, and all nations shall flow into it. And I'm sure, you know, think about this, that the people of, of Jesus' time, the Jews reading this, they're like, yeah, someday we're going to get all of this. And of course, they were disappointed when Jesus, a humble Galilean from Nazareth, shows up. And they're like, wait a minute. No, we were expecting, you know, Isaiah 2-2, when we'll be lifted up above everything and all nations shall come up to us. And But this seems to show almost an alternative possible future if Israel goes with this, because stick with me here. This is God saying in four, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. This is the future Jerusalem. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And you've probably heard that, or maybe you've seen it in a bumper sticker. <laughs> uh, and spears into pruning hooks, and neither shall they learn war anymore. It's part of the Christian songs. I'm sure some of us have heard some version of a song. It's like, we're not going to study war anymore. Okay, they had swords. They had spears. They have disputes that are being settled. All of those things don't speak of heaven. When I when I read Revelation, I don't see us carrying around swords or spears. I don't see us having disputes that need to be mediated by God. I don't see us you know, studying war. And then God comes along and says, oh, okay, well, you've been working on this for a while, but actually we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying here? It's kind of like this. And there's other places in Isaiah that's kind of like, wow, this is weird. It says like in the young, I'm skipping ahead, that the young among you shall die at 100. Like, wow, okay, that's cool in this world's context, but in heaven we're not dying. So right. when is that? And so I just want to say that there might be this kind of a fourth God is saying, look, if you would do it my way, it could be crazy awesome for you, and this is what it could look like. Now, they never did it. It didn't happen. Do you, do you guys see that? Yeah. Have you ever seen that in Isaiah? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, yeah. And I think they were, you know, when you come down to Jesus' time, I think they were expecting, I think they were expecting this is what should have happened, but then the Romans come in and, you know, that turns everything upside down. And, and I think that's probably, maybe that's part of why they were so... Um, so confused with what the Messiah was going to do is yeah. that they, they were thinking that, well, we're doing all the rituals and we're doing all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, so yes. we're, we're supposed to be this amazing, this amazing, this amazing, uh, uh kingdom and Messiah is going to come and, and clearly, obviously Messiah is going to come and, 
and 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 liberate us from the Romans, and we're gonna be we're gonna be the be all end all of kingdoms on the on the in the world. And, right. Uh, but I think you catch caught it right there in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where they got distracted once again. Is they couldn't see the big picture, yes. and here it's trying to tell you of what could be, what what ultimately he wanted the plan to be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're. I think you're. You're. You're absolutely right there. Okay. Yeah. Because as I was reading this, I'm like, man, this is this is not a straightforward thing. Like, we read the Book of Jonah, and it's either you can take it, and like that happened, and it's it was real, or I believe it didn't happen. You know, you can make that choice. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty mm-hmm. straightforward. This is yeah. The story. Isaiah requires a lot more. Like, so when exactly are we talking about? Is this a spiritual truth? Is this a is this a temporal kingdom truth? Is this a political statement? What exactly is happening here? And I think it's important to keep that in mind as we read. Yeah. Well, and I think there's times when it's all of them. Because, uh, you know, like, you know, this is what this is what Israel could be if you did it my way. And this is what Israel will be when when God, when Jesus returns and establishes the new Jerusalem, you know, the, the forever. You know, God goes on. God's forsaken Israel because they have embraced sinful ways. They've got soothsayers. They're obsessed with wealth. They're embracing a lifestyle of war. Uh, they're still worshiping idols, which just boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. And verse eight specifically, they worship the work of their own hands. The, I think that right there is why the worship of idols is so detestable. It's because it's because you you create you made this thing. You, you, oh, did we already read about that? You know, you chopped down a tree, you took half of it and you cooked your dinner with it. And, and the other half you, you made into, you made into this thing you set in the corner and you bow down to it. You yes. know, you made this thing and now, and now you're acting as if it's somehow above you. And that's absolutely ridiculous. It's like, why are you doing this when you've had this actual God who showed up in fire and smoke and did all these things and, You've had these stories passed down to you. You've got a real God to worship, but instead you 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 worship this thing in the in the, in the corner, and um, you know it's like it's like you it, essentially idol worship. You're making yourself God because because you made the thing. You know you made the thing, and and now that's what you're worshiping. And God said, "This is." This is why I'm giving up on you guys, right? Not giving up, but you know what I mean. It's like this is why, this is why things are going to happen the way they are because you you just you're not learning and you you just keep going down the wrong way. Talk about hey, he says uh, you, you need you need to humble yourself because God is going to take down anything that's held in high esteem. See, I wrote a quote here: "The loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low." The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. So, I mean, there's there's going to be a humbling experience coming along here. So to that point is that we, we talked about the, the multiple times in which, you know, these things of Isaiah can apply. Mm-hmm. We see something really interesting happen in the very next verses. Matt just read out of 18 and the idols mm-hmm. shall utterly pass away. And it's kind of cute. We can think like, oh, wow. That's them, you know, making those idols out of gold and metal and stuff like that. Except here, Isaiah kind of hits a time machine. 
And people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Wow, that, in case you wondered, haven't I read that before? <laughs> yes, yeah. you have. You've read that in Luke 23, 30. You've read that in, in Revelation 6, 16. This is talking about last day events, the cataclysmic um, coming of Jesus in the clouds. So this this shifts out of Isaiah talking to Isaiah and people into a future ahead of us. And here's where it's really interesting. Verse 20, in that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they have made themselves to worship to the moles and the bats. So what what I read in this is that someday in the future, all of us sitting here in 2021 will see this happen. People casting away their idols. My point is to say it would be a very big mistake for us to think that these idols are merely things made out of gold that sit on the countertop that we worship. Yeah. God's telling us, hey, you. You people in 2021 have idols, and someday when this all goes down, you're going to throw those to the moles and the bats. Now, nobody I know, I mean, it, people have pets, and they, 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 they adore all kinds of other animals, right? I mean, but moles and bats, they're kind of they're like the lowest of the low. It's like, I don't want this. I'm giving this away to the most worthless thing I could think of. And... God is calling us today, I think, to walk away from that stuff. What, yeah. what do we worship today? I'm going to throw that out there as a question. All of us. Not, and, and not the finger pointing to other people, because that's pretty mm -hmm. easy. We can do some of that. Yeah. You know, I. For us. Yeah. You know, I mean, as I'm growing older and I'm seeing different priorities, especially, you know, as my kids are growing up and, and, uh, you know, now as a business owner and you see you see how easy it is for certain other things to start taking different priorities in your life and how easy it would be to just abandon yourself to to taking care of all the stuff that just just constantly bombarding, you know, like as a business owner, I could let that rule me. And I, I know I have known people who have done that. And that is a constant. Um, it's a it's a challenge to to not just devote myself entirely to that um it's a challenge to not just entirely devote myself to my kids and making sure of their well-being i have to i have you got to take constant con conscious effort to find time to study and pray and meditate on god and who he is and 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 step away from all those things that are constantly pulling you know pulling 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 and you got to step away to to um appreciate god and who he is and what he has done and not let the other things become the the focus and the center 100%. even you know even kids even other family members yeah jesus says that he, he that's one of the hardest things jesus says is he says if you put your family ahead of me you're not worthy of me yeah i'm like whoa man yeah. that's we're supposed to care for our families right and the answer yeah. is yes, yes, yeah. we are. But if there's an order to that, is that we are to attach ourselves to Christ 
first, and then then we we take care of the other things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's not hard to look through the news. I look through a, a news feed once in a while, and I just I are you, are, are of, you all right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's never good. But here's one of the, here's one of the things that blows my mind is I look at stuff in the news feed. I'm like, why is that in the news? Mm-hmm. Why, why do I care that that person did that thing or bought the thing or said the thing to the other? These people are insignificant as it as it should be, in my opinion, in relation to the value of the world and of life and of what's actually important. And we are worshiping. Man, we're worshiping everything right. from from Hollywood to to uh, to things and objects, and I mean, it's just anything from games to sneakers to to cars to to things that start sounding more noble. Um, you know, the rituals in our churches, making sure that we're doing things on the right day. And come on, if you can read Isaiah one and listen to, to God talking about this in Isaiah 12 to 15, where he's like, yeah, you're doing all the worship stuff and you're, oh, you're being solemn and oh, you're doing all, that's not what I'm looking for. Now he doesn't say don't do it. He says, but that's not the core of things mm-hmm. is that we can put all kinds of other things, as Matt said too, more noble sounding is our families before God. And God says, no, if it's an idol, because I've seen people do it. I didn't think that was a possibility, but I've seen people basically idolize their families and put them before their duty to God. He can sneak up on us. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to sneak up on us and trick us. Mm-hmm. I guess I think of this as exactly what you were saying, Eric. It's not, it's not what we say is important. It's where we prioritize it. So uh, that, that exact verse in Isaiah that you were just talking about, I've got this parallel Bible that has four versions, and that was one of those where I stopped and was like, mm, how is that worded in other, you know, because I'm trying to get like a more comprehensive understanding of it. So this uh, verse 13, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Never mind that the Sabbath is a ten, one of the Ten Commandments, right? You would think that that was important. Mm-hmm. So that's that's New International Version. Then I've got uh, New King James, which says, uh, Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Right? So it's a dilution. It's a mixing of iniquity with what he actually did call us to do. And then I've got two paraphrases. I've got New Living Translation, which says, Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. And then the message says, quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. I'm sick of your religion while you go right on sinning. Mm-hmm. So kind of interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, if we, fork, if we overlay that against the religion that Jesus met when he was dealing with us, there it is. 
He's like, look, you devour widows' houses, yep. and then you pretend that you're doing good with religion. He's like, that's not okay. How did he say you you tithe the vegetables and herbs in your garden, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, like and justice and mercy? And he says, he points out, he says, you shouldn't, you shouldn't not do those things. You shouldn't neglect those things, but you yep. should do the most important things. Yeah, Isaiah's laying it down here. Yeah. Yeah, and he the, the chapter there, chapter two, kind of ends with, you know, we're talking about, you know, hanging on to these idols. And he throws a little thing on there at the end. It's like sever ties with anyone who would cling to these things until the last moment. You know, God's been telling them over and over and over, get rid of this stuff, get rid of this stuff, get rid of this stuff. And people are waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's like, you know, if you're just going to wait till the last moment, uh, it's it's going to be that's going to be worthless. And so so, you know, don't don't try to cling on to somebody who is holding on to this stuff. Because um, even if they do get rid of it at the end, I mean, it's like that that the you know the deathbed confession type thing is like well okay thanks but would have been better to have this a long time ago yes um, and so so uh, and, you know tossing it out the last moment when you're like all of a sudden you see that oh wow uh i you know i i get it now but then it's too late right and and that's where it's a great segue into chapter three uh, for behold the lord of hosts is taking away from jerusalem and from judah support and supply all support of bread and all support of water, the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder. It, I mean, basically he goes through this. And how many times have we seen, I mean, we see this warning and then people are like, what? Who could have known that was going to happen? Like, <laughs> if you had been paying attention at all, here you go. And again, we see, Jesus tells a parable about this. There were 10 virgins waiting for the bridegroom. And he tells a little story. And they're like, what? He's like, hey, look, I'm telling you ahead of time, this is coming. And Isaiah is talking, again, to our kind of our layers of things. There's the immediate application of Judah. There's in prophecies of Jesus talking about taking away the blessings of this blessed nation. That's alluded to also in, um, in the New Testament. Uh, end of time, and you know, uh, it's worth looking at at all those layers and saying, "Hmm, what what does this mean?" Yeah, so Isaiah three is really he's laying down every all these things that you've been hanging on to and you're thinking are valuable. That's all getting taken away, all of it. It talks mm -hmm. about uh, children. It says children and babes will rule over them, and I took that to be it's like you know. You're not going to have anybody of experience even leading you anymore. Yeah. You're going and you're going to you're going to try to find somebody. It's like anybody you find that has anything of value, you're going to cling on to them, and they're not going to be they're not going to be that great for you either. They they won't be any better than anybody else. Talk about how Jer Jer uh, Jerusalem and Judah have they've really brought evil on themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's you say something really interesting how they brought it on themselves. And in verse yeah, chapter three, verses ten and eleven, it's a very interesting mm -hmm. thing to Karen's earlier comments about karma. You know, what basically that's not a biblical thing, but the idea of what you do comes back to you. Mm -hmm. See that here in ten and eleven. 
tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. So this whole idea that what you do doesn't matter, it's just if you have the right beliefs, Isaiah takes a pretty dim view of that, as Karen has mentioned also in the book of James. Like, your deeds matter. Mm -hmm. So the righteous eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them. For what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so this whole thing that we've been talking about where it's not that we're doing bad things, it's that we're doing them with the wrong emphasis, the wrong priority. We're making gods out of things that aren't gods, you know, by the by the weight that we give them, right? So uh, ver- the last verse of chapter two really stood out to me, especially in our modern era of calculated misinformation here, there, and everywhere. It's yeah. so hard to figure out what's actually happening who to believe and what to do in response, right? Like, it's just, it's hard. It's it's genuinely difficult. Verse 22, stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? That was a really good reminder to me to keep the focus on God. It's not that I intentionally idolize humans. It's that they're the ones that are standing up in front of me and saying, here's information, follow it this way, here's what you should do. And so it's easy to simply put all of my focus on them. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So it's not like I would ever go to those same humans and think that I was seeking eternal wisdom, (laughs) but I end up putting my time and energy on what they're saying. And so the result ends up being the same thing. So if I'm Satan and my goal is to distract, distort, and destroy everything in the world possible, and I can get people to focus on the humans that are standing up and being loud and putting themselves out as this authority or that authority or this leader or that leader, I've won because that human has taken their attention off of God. Yeah. And I'm not saying being blind. I'm not saying be blind. I'm not saying don't pay attention to what's happening around you. I'm not saying don't try to seek out good information, research it, figure out what the truth is. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying keep your focus and your priority without the humans on top. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, and it kind of falls into that exactly what you're saying, the art of distraction. Mm hmm. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that distraction lately in our in our society here. Man. You know, I don't I don't know necessarily what it's like the rest of the world. I I'm I'm not a world traveler. I haven't seen things in other areas, but I had, you know, I am I am absolutely amazed at the way things have been tossed at us lately from left, right, backwards, up, down, you name it. Mhm. It's just, it's like, it's always something that's like, hey, look over here. Hey, look over here. You know, you you feel like maybe you're starting to get a a, a side on something that's true. And all of a sudden there's something that happens over here. Like, oh, look over there. And and then you see people just get obsessed with whatever is happening right there in the moment. And, and they, they get all, all worked up 
uh, to the point of fighting with each other about what's happening on the peripheral and and not necessarily seeing how is that distracting me from what's straight ahead you know what's oh, yeah. over there what am i heading to oh wait look at that look at that shiny thing you know squirrel uh-huh we got a world full of squirrels and since humans like to be right so much most of our modern day squirrels that are being tossed at us as you said right left center up down most of our modern day squirrels seem to have some aspect of like us and them i'm right you're wrong because you're wrong you're scary and i hate you you're a threat to me and like pick a point of view like the division between that point of view and any opposing point of view even if it was only three degrees off is is becoming a chasm there's so much division going on and it's like oh this is this is not great guys like we're actually all in this together maybe mm -hmm. we can figure it out together but how do you think okay so like we we sort of make fun of the disciples right well i mean they you know they walked around with jesus for three years and he told them over and over and over again i'm gonna die 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 and then they're like oh my gosh he died <gasps> and they're undone right and now mm -hmm. here we are you know the world's gonna end these things are gonna happen world's gonna end these things are gonna happen world's gonna end these things are gonna happen and yet we know from reading the bible that the the majority of people will be shocked when it happens you know right. what does it say uh the people will be it will be as it was in the days of noah people were living their lives as normal right up until the day noah went into the ark right so shall it be at the coming of the son of man the mm -hmm. majority of the world will be oblivious and so all of these distractions go satan congratulations on being smarter than humans he's playing us and it works for a lot of people mm -hmm. now uh verse 12 there talks about uh how children will be oppressors and they'll be ruled over by women yeah i don't hey, hey. <laughs> i mean <laughs> i don't i don't think this is intended to be a slight against children or women but if you if we put it into the cultural context of course, of course, you know, the idea of, well, gosh, I mean, think about it now. Children as oppressors, our kids, the children of the current generation, they are learning that they're able to get away with a whole lot of stuff that the older generations would never have gotten away with. What have they tried? Because, right. But because of the way our society keeps focusing on feelings and the you know that what's good for me and we've got we've got we've got a, a a generation of kids and not all of them there's still a few good shining uh examples out there but um they're realizing that under the under the 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 the, the, the way our society works right now they can get away with just about anything and nobody's going to say anything at all because they're not allowed to yeah that's you right. know so children as oppressors, uh, you know, that I can understand that one because uh, I look at it like this. I was thinking about technology and when I was reading this. Uh-huh. And like we said many a times before today, we all have children. And yeah. I'm going to just throw this out there. How many of us have handed our phone to our children and said, hey, can you fix this? <laughs> they have a better grasp of tech or 
they are an ever-changing grasp of technology that they're keeping up with that we're not. Yeah. So are they our, our oppressors, really? You could kind of look at that in some ways. Well, this this whole thing, chapter three and actually chapter four to some degree, deals with the thing that we don't deal with a lot in our society, and that's shame and honor. Mm. Uh, because a lot of what's going on here is that God is saying you will face shame. Shame that you have. I mean, because to be ruled by an infant and an oppressor or having women, there's actually no record that I re recall in here of women being kings. We, we had one, Athaliah, you know, who, who ruled. But that's that's in the history. I don't see this coming. This is this is kind of more metaphorical. Like, look, all the things that would embarrass you that you'd be like, oh, come on, not that that's going to happen. And he says in the latter part of verse 12, your guides mislead you. Again, this is the thing Jesus addresses a lot when he's on earth and he's speaking to, to people. And, and I would put this out there to, to us, to our group, and to our um, readers and listeners. You can't really understand the book of Revelation without reading and understanding what's happening in the book of Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, mm -hmm. because, I mean, there's a lot of direct quotes of Isaiah in and allusions in Revelation, because God is dealing with these people. Now, let's keep in mind, in chapter one, they're worshiping. They are doing worship. It isn't as if they have just decided, nope, we're a secular nation and there is no God. Let's get that super clear. That is not the case in Isaiah chapter one. Well, they're worshiping. They're doing all kinds of things, but they are not doing the core and the message and the, the meat, so to speak, of what true religion is. They're not doing that. They're doing the forms. They're absolutely saying that they're doing worship. And God keeps he keeps turning up the volume on them, saying this is this is not what I asked for. And we see this shame and honor thing coming on. God saying you're going to face this shame. You're you're worshiping, but you're not doing it right. You know, I mean, 24, pretty, pretty straight up metaphor here. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. Instead of a belt, a rope. Because in, in 18, in chapter 3, 18 through 23, God just kind of goes down and just says, oh, you're into fashion? And he really like lays it out. I mean, he even called yeah. out handbags, right? I was like, that was a thing? Wow. I didn't know that was that old. He's calling out all this stuff. He said, you're, you're, you're fascinated by and focused on um, yourself, and I'm going to take it away. That's my cat. Just like, that's my cat. What was there's, that? <laughs> there's one piece of furniture in the house that she's allowed to claw the crap out of if she wants to. And it's this, it's this um, storage container footstool. It's just wood covered with a little bit of padding and then some crushed velvet. And that's the one piece of furniture she's allowed to claw. And she just came galloping into the room, pounced on it, grabbed it with her front feet and started rabbit kicking her with her back feet. And it's like <laughs> three feet behind me. So sorry you had to hear that. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's not she squirrels. It. She's, she's got her teeth buried in it right now and is staring up at me with huge pupils. My ankles are next. I'm sure of it. Yeah, I thought there were squirrels somewhere. Speaking of distractions. Yes, yeah. she's uh, a handful. Uh, uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's it's basically that 
everything that they have valued and it's basically everything they valued that they've created themselves yep. is going to be taken away. It's a warning of what's of what's coming. Yes. And it's we've already seen it start to happen with Israel. Uh, and, you know, if you know anything about Bible history, you know, it's going to happen to Judah as well. But um, all these things are going to be they're just going to they're going to be taken away. All this outward adornment, all this human made beauty. Everything they've become proud of in their own accomplishments is going to be taken away. You know, and I just have written down here <clears throat> real quick about this, but isn't that the society we live in right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That people have made now, if you look back 20 years ago, there was no reality TV. Mm-hmm. And if you look now, this is the stuff that our younger generation pattern themselves after as a distraction. Let's take them. Mm-hmm. Let's take the eyes off God and put them right here on an everyday person that be, can become a maybe like uh, this probably isn't the best word to use, but a, a cult leader based on their fashion statement, really? mm-hmm. based on bad decisions. They're they're revered and on every cover of a magazine or all over social media for sometimes bad behavior. That's what we pattern our our younger people are patterning themselves off of i'm mm-hmm. going to call it closer to home i think every satan has a distraction for everyone if it's money we're focused on guess what there's plenty of people that we can idolize look oh yeah you, look how much they have look what private jet they just got if it's politics he'll say oh that's your flavor look at this here's somebody to love and worship oh you gotta hate those people or if that's not your flavor he'll say well how about you love these people and hate those people or you just want to be amuse yourself Oh, you want to just treat yourself to all the good things in the world? Here's the, all the food you could possibly have. Here's all the sex you could possibly have. Here's a, sports. Oh, you want to just spend all your time in there and forget about everything else going on in the world? No problem. I've got about a dozen different sports. You could, oh, not dozens, not enough? Guess what? We'll have a worldwide convocation of sports. And there's hundreds of sports, some of them you never even heard of before, mm-hmm. that you could distract yourself with. He is... The devil is ready to put anything up in front of us to take our attention away from where it should be, which is God's calling. Yeah. You know, and with technology, he has the ability to do that. He has the ability to individualize it for each and every one of us. Almost like he tailors our feed just for us. Yes. (laughs) There's Uh, there's uh, an algorithm. It's uh, like it's an algorithm. Yeah. You know, because I think, too, it, it's not going to be effective. You know, if something that I'm into, Matt might not be into it. And that wouldn't be a challenge for him. He could easily say, you know what, I'm not interested and walk away. Right. It has to be personalized and individualized to get your attention. It has to feed what you, the inner you. Yep. And, and that's just to our, to our listeners and to us ourselves. Man, spend a minute with God. And say, God, what am I worshiping? What has distracted me from you? And if I can't get rid of it, take it away from me. Those are scary words. I'm just telling you because he'll do it. There's a quote that I heard once. It was from one of the old famous Roman emperors. And the people were upset. His society was upset. And he was like, no, we don't need to worry about it. Give them bread and circuses and they won't revolt. Just mm. keep them, keep them fed, and keep them entertained, 
and they won't revolt. Yeah. And I every time I every time I think of that, I look around the world and I go, hey, look, red. Hey, look, circuses. Mm -hmm. Well, and look at how nuts everybody went through COVID when those things were kind of taken away. Yeah. You know, the entertainment, the entertainment kind of went away and, um, you know, the food got not impossible, but it wasn't super easy. And when people thought things were going to disappear, watch the toilet paper disappear from the shelves, yeah. you know? And, yeah. So absolutely. We, we are definitely seeing if you're, if your eyes are open, if your eyes are open for it, you see those distractions and you see those things that are constantly calling our attention. And we've got to make a, a conscious effort to turn ourselves back to, back to God and, and what he has for us. Well, chapter four was very short. It's only it's only six verses. Um, and like we were saying, how these 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 prophecies have different meanings. I think it here it got very specifically end times because it talks okay. about now it talks about the branch. Now I don't have we have, have we seen prophecies about the branch? Uh, David um, references you know, that a through little David, bit. right? Yeah. But this is very specific. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Uh, so I think we're I think we're seeing we're seeing you know some dual meaning, but I think it's pretty specifically more towards the end time uh, here. And we're talk, talk, told about how everyone left in Zion will be called holy. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was interesting. In our um, you know, we have this the left behind scenario, which is uh, it's not a biblical scenario. It's a it's a gross misinterpretation of things. But the idea that, um, you know, people are going to be taken and and, and I'm pro maybe I'm maybe I'm mi mi miss uh, miss misappropriating this. But uh, it just came to mind when I was thinking about it, that the idea that if you're taken away that you're on the good side. And if you're left behind, you got more to work about. But here it's like, if you're taken away, if you are taken, that's not the position you want to be in because it's telling you that the ones who are left are holy. And so that gives us a whole different context of, of what to think there about being taken and being left. And um, if you're being left, if you're being left in Zion, it's because uh, it's because you were, you're okay to be there, you know? And how we get here, this is this is kind of poetic. It's how he doesn't. There's really no explanation of how this goes down. It's just mm -hmm. that there's going to be good, and it's going to be going on. And again, this illusion. It's it's very interesting. In verse five, then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over the assemblies a cloud by day, and smoke, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. Where have we seen? A mm -hmm. cloud by day and a flaming fire by night. And who is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's Christ. I mean, we're, that's, it's, it, we're told in the New Testament that it was Jesus who led his people out of captivity in, yep. in Egypt. And he was the flame and he was the shade. And so he's there in this future Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. In a physical, literal, sense not some allegorical meaning i mean it's i, I really took this to be like that you're going to see you're going to see a physical manifestation of of god's protection and his his presence 
when when this goes down we will you'll you will see this again and uh you know i think if that if that remnant had been stronger through time maybe we would have seen that more constantly through the history of israel and judah uh, but because they fell away god kind of had to withdraw because his people his people push he doesn't he doesn't push himself on us you know so he's it's not like he would just stick around if he wasn't really wanted because we saw we saw how you know that 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 Shekinah glory was was in the most holy place, and I think that was a literal thing. And we've sort of seen that sort kind of kind of fade over time through what we've read. And he's talking about how you will see a literal physical God, and His presence will be there. And that's basically where the reading is going to leave off for this week. So, you know, these promises, the, these, well, so warnings that things are going to be coming and we will see them come in our readings to, to, to follow. But Judah has gotten himself in a not great place. I mean, we left off with Uzziah, who actually is doing some good things. But like we said, things in the background still aren't great. And um, as we as we progress and we're going to see more and more evils coming from Judah as well. Israel's already falling apart. Uh, Judah is going to start falling apart. And, you know, God's going to make the corrections he needs to make. Don't give it away. What are you doing? Now people won't listen. Oh, oh that's yeah, like that's... the trailer. It's like the trailer. It's the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Reading, re- looking at the back of the book. <laughs> see, see who done it. <laughs> I've never understood that. But uh, anyway. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, that is where we are leaving off with this knowledge that that something is going to happen. And I wonder how much the people of the time understood the prophecy as it was being told to them. Um, and how much it worried some people and how other people might have been looking at it. You know, like we look at, uh, you know, we look at things coming in our time and looking forward to the new Jerusalem. And we see the bad things happening now and we don't like them, but we know it means that, that Jesus is coming is sooner so there's that now next week we will read we're going to continue in isaiah we're just going to stick in isaiah for a week we're going to read chapters uh five through eight and we'll we'll discuss that next time while you are waiting for that remember you can reach out to us at attv podcast with questions comments concerns uh just let us know what you're thinking of the podcast love to hear from you remember you can find us on facebook Um, Make sure you share the podcast with your friends and family. And be sure you subscribe to us so that we reach you in your feet each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.